Ain't got no regrets. I ain't losing track of which way I'm going. I ain't gonna double back now. Don't wanna misplay. Put on no display. An angel know, but I know my way. Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and live via Zencaster, 97.5 WOBM, the campus of Otterbein University, Westerville, Ohio. We also have Chelsea Lucius with us tonight. Buford, South Carolina native, and the wild card, Bailey Lucius, from the lounge at 2520, this is Tackling the Chicane. Okay, so intro track, Lou Graham's solo album, Coming Straight Out of Foreigner, 1986. The track is Midnight Blue. As a young sophomore in high school, running the stairs, this was the uh, track to go to. So that's my, uh, my intro musically for the podcast was that on a sony walkman or something of that nature whoops something of that nature uh most likely (laughs) perhaps a sports walkman some kind but yes (laughs) all right you should know that that has 17 million plays on spotify not bad not bad yeah So it can't be that bad of a track, right? I guess not. I mean, we all know the more popular something is, that just directly correlates to quality, right? Let's just go around the room real quickly. Chels? Hi, everybody. I'm back again. Bailey? (laughs) What's up? What's up? from the lounge from the lounge i mean sipping on what appears to be some sort of concoction with the uh very warm lighting in the background he actually has the best background i think of the entire podcast yeah of course not a visual medium but i i was just gonna say if this was on youtube or something that would make a pretty decent background of course you would be um pretty happy to know that there's a a full rig that was set up in T minus eight minutes from when Bailey arrived. So two monitors, a tower, a microphone, a boom. Equipped with led lighting (laughs) with with led lighting. So, well, I'm glad to see that we have plenty of equipment in the, in the basement tonight for sure. In the studio. The studio, as it were. Well, uh, let's, uh, I guess, tell everyone what we'll be discussing tonight. Um, We are three days out from the Australian Grand Prix. And of course, that is more like uh, two at this point, as that one's going to be at 1 a.m., Eastern Standard Time, so uh, you can catch me on the DVR for that one. Um, And then on the soccer side of things, uh, we witnessed um, two contests for the United States men's national team in their March international window. I think it's fair to say they took care of business there. Um, I'm sure Chelsea will have something to say about uh, last week's NASCAR Cup Series race at Circuit of the Americas, so we can also uh, sink our teeth into that as well. Yeah, so let's just 
talk a little bit about F1 and we'll go straight to the driver's standings just to give everybody a recap. We've had a week off. Um, so we've got, you know, pretty, pretty typical except for, <laughs> uh, red, uh, Aston Martin, we've got Red Bull for stapping. We've got uh, Checo, number two, and then uh, Aston Martin. Um, you know, we all know who who this guy is, right? So he's sitting number three, Fernando Alonso. And then we have Sainz in fourth, Hamilton fifth, Russell sixth. And then as we go down the grid here, Stroll seventh, which that's... You know, I know we're only two races in, but good for Aston Martin. Yeah, I think it's fair to say they're definitely the stars of the show right now. Sort of the, um, uh, I think everyone's favorite at the moment, unless you're, I don't know, a Red Bull or a Ferrari fan or something of of that nature. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's definitely Aston Martin. Uh, uh, and everyone else right now, obviously there's Red Bull. They're so far from the rest of the competition that it, it feels like you kind of have to talk about them separately, but that's sure. uh, definitely the uh, stars of the show. Well, we've met, we, yeah, we've mentioned that, you know, this is going to be a season where we need to focus on um, upper mid pack racing. Mm -hmm. uh, Botas in ninth which is nice to see. And then we'll just go to 10. Esteban Ocon in 10th position. And mm -hmm. of note, I mean, we have a 12th position driver in the Haas team, uh, Magnuson. So everything's going to play out at some point. Right now, I'm pretty happy with the grid I see and, and where these guys are right now. I, I, I'm super happy to see Aston Martin just challenging. And mm -hmm. my prediction was that, you know, Fernando is going to be kind of uh, the flea on the dog's ass <laughs> a bit. So we'll see how that all plays out at the end. But okay. <laughs> super strong so far. Yeah, for sure. Uh, don't really know how much input Bailey and Chelsea have on this topic, but I would definitely be open to hear any input. <laughs> Bailey, uh, maybe. Uh, I, I for one, am just I'm kind of excited to see what uh, what Mercedes is is going to end up working with here uh, in the coming Grand Prix. Uh, they were super dominant for such a long time uh, before Red Bull came on the scene and started doing their red bull thing but yeah. uh i mean if you if you're looking at the same stats i'm looking at uh you know H hamilton is basically tied with signs and russell's two points behind so you know this this next race could be huge for mercedes maybe they grab the four or five spot you know top five um i'm i've been leaning towards red bull for for a little bit just because i'm super excited with what they're doing yeah. Um, obviously, it's nice to root for someone you know that's not gonna, you know, have a ninety percent chance of winning a race. But sometimes mm -hmm. it's nice to know that the guy you're rooting for is gonna win. So yeah, uh, I mean, I'm just super interested to see what Mercedes does. Honestly, sure. Yeah, if you could just maybe get that mic just a tad closer, so I can see a little bit more uh, level there. <laughs> okay. That's better. That's way better. He's now swallowing his microphone well, as we speak. I can, I can make the adjustment, the necessary. That's perfect. Perfect. So as far as constructors go, um, obviously we, we've got Red Bull number one, Aston Martin number two. And as I scroll down, or attempt to scroll down. Mercedes number three, Ferraris four, Alpine number five, Alfa Romeo number six in constructors. 
just two races in, which is kind of cool to see. Uh, the Haas team, number seven, Williams, eight. So a little bit of a mix up here at the first part of the season. Alpha Tari, uh, nine, and McLaren, number 10. Yeah. Um, we all know that, you know, things are probably going to change as the GPs happen. But right now, I, I love this lineup. I like the fact that we have a little bit of a, a mix-up. Uh, and we'll see if, if Aston Martin can continue to challenge the, let's say, top two or top three teams this year. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Uh, kind of hard to say how much stock you can put into the standings right now. Uh, I think McLaren, though their performance hasn't been super great, have been incredibly unlucky. Um, and I would say that's sort of the same story for Ferrari as well. I mean, you know, you could make the argument that reliability isn't about luck. It's about the car that you put out. But obviously when you're, you know, developing your race plan, you're not accounting for, you know, electrical errors and failures and uh, subsequent penalties the next week. So uh, I think we will start to see over the next few races, the uh, standings kind of go to where you might see them at the the end. I think just the, the better teams are going to start to climb or stabilize. So, but we'll see. Yeah. So schedule wise, we're talking about uh, P1 on. Uh, P1 might've been today. Yeah, uh, the, the app says um, 53 minutes. <laughs> okay. Until... So P1 today, P2 tomorrow. Uh, three tomorrow also, and then uh, qualifying will be Saturday, the first, and then of course the race on the second. And as you said, Garrett, we're we're saddled with uh, the time continuum, so we won't be watching the race live, but we will um, <laughs> record and and do what we do, probably a day or two later. So, so. Bailey said is making the signal that he will be watching this live. Is that true? I, uh, I'm up doing schoolwork around that time. So you never know okay. if I, if I'm feeling it, uh, and it's easy enough to navigate on the space station upstairs. Uh, maybe I'll throw it on and watch it. I mean, <laughs> fair enough. So, uh, let's just see what the circuit looks like here. Um, Albert park, is the track and we have uh the first gp in 96 we have 58 laps course length is a little over five kilometers race distance is uh 306 and some change uh, 13 corners 14 corners it looks like uh this is a pretty intriguing track compared to the two that we've seen thus far this year uh lap record charles leclerc just last year a 120.26 yeah he won here last year as well um if i'm not mistaken sort of his last win uh where <laughs> ferrari were still competitors in the championship so we'll see maybe this is the 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 weekend ferrari really shift into gear Fun fact, uh, for those of you that use formula1.com as your information for the track, they haven't updated the lap, lap, lap record holder because uh, still says it's Mr. Schumacher from 2004, who I would assume was the last record holder for the track at 124. Uh, probably. I And what also could be the case here is the f1 app is pulling the um fastest just lap ever ran in terms of like qualifying or the race and 124 could be the fastest race lap 
It's hard to say. Yeah, that could be it. I'm not sure. Maybe, but. Yeah, so the veil is never lifted. <laughs> can't, can't forget about the veil. I really like this track. Um, if you're if you're looking at the the overhead turns six through nine, <laughs> aka the the big swoop. Yeah, it looks it, it it'll be interesting, and there's not a lot of room to pass here. So I'm I'm looking at uh, turns fourteen or one through. I don't know when you come off of fourteen, that's your stretch right there. So. You're going to see some passing there. You might see some passing uh, two through three or potentially on the backside. It's kind of a sweeping curve. There's nothing here. There's a couple of kinks, but um, I think you might see some passing on that back half of the track between eight and nine. I I think uh, the the turn three four five uh i think you might if it's an interesting enough race get to see some pretty cool stuff happen there depends on the track conditions obviously yeah yeah a bit bit of a uh, chicane there so we'll just have to wait and see um if everyone's cool with being done with f1 we we can talk a bit about the last road race at Coda for NASCAR. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I think Chelsea probably has a little bit of input on this. So if you want to take it away with your thoughts on on what happened over in Austin last weekend, uh, be my guest. Let's just cover the wave tops here. If you're used to watching Formula One, you might not have enjoyed watching this race. NASCAR drivers tend to color outside of the lines. (laughs) Some would say we had a bit of a shit show. (laughs) Last, I remember last year at Coda was pretty much the same shit show as you described it and uh they definitely delivered on that front again this year um what i I think what interests me most about when nascar runs a road course like coda the normal boundaries are not followed so they have a lot of give Mm -hmm. and with that give you know creates weird opportunities for people i mean usually it's inside the curb and clearly from what i saw this race was not run inside the curbs at all no so you have two to three cars that enter turn one and decide okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna go way way outside um i know it's because of the limits of the cars and the number of cars that are on track. I mean, you're talking about 20 versus, uh, I don't know how many, how many cars started that race. Was it 30 something? Yeah, we're going 30 plus. 39, it says here. Okay, so nearly double the number of F1 cars that would be on this track. So there's nowhere to go. They have to go outside. Mm -hmm. But it just, to me, it kind of peppers the course a bit, you know. I don't know. I, Garrett, you're you're and Chelsea, you you guys are more NASCAR fans than than I am for sure. But um, when you can go another thirty feet outside of the course, it. Mm-hmm. it makes a completely different scenario yeah no you you can't go into a nascar road race and expect even really the same type of racing that you're gonna see in f1 uh and that's just by nature of the series um 
I think in general, though, this package that NASCAR's delivered with the the next gen car doesn't really offer a great product on on roads. Uh, it just feels like they're driving fucking school buses around when they're they're on when they're on the roads, and it does get quite annoying when we can't seem to figure out turn one every lap or every time there's a restart. Um, but that was just me. Uh, Chelsea, I don't know what input you had on the race itself, but that's the stuff that I was kind of getting annoyed at. Oh, I had the same opinion with turn one. You know, the broadcasters kept calling it Log City, and every time we yeah. would hit it, you know, you're almost guaranteed a caution of some kind or a few spun cars. And if you're into watching the race for that, then it was probably a pretty good day for you. But <laughs> yeah. we had some pretty good drivers get taken out early on just solely based on that that turn one configuration yeah well, it makes me it makes me think a little bit about how over the overtime rule in nascar is great for oval mm-hmm. not so much great for road definitely not yeah i would agree with that and i think it's important to note that this was a three overtime race yeah which is terrible. And it just the amount of time it takes to restack the field on a road race too. Uh, it did get really monotonous. And uh, I mean, you're looking at eight, nine drivers that didn't see the end of this race. And it was pretty much all inflicted on turn one or some other issue. Uh, there was a portion of the track. Bailey, you look like you want to say something. Oh, I I was being chill. No, oh, I just I no, just read uh, I just read a, a f- I it made me laugh internally. A quote from uh, I'll butcher this name because if I'm going to, it's a uh, right Raikkonen. Yeah, Kimi Raikkonen. Raikkonen, yeah, yeah, square. Yeah, you did. Um, a former uh championship Formula One driver, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and he said. It looks like you'd be very good. Then three corners later, someone's going the wrong direction. <laughs> and I, yeah. I feel like that sums up about what this race was about the entire time. So I, I just, I read that and I thought it was pretty, uh, spot on for, a if you were looking for a summary of this race. Yeah, most definitely. It wasn't, it didn't offer an amazing product in terms of of racing and like i said i think some of that is just the package that they have and another thing is obviously obviously more than you know 90 percent of the field don't drive on the roads um race roads other than when they have to in the cup series so you're just not setting up the series for an amazing product on the road. And I think they should do road races, but right now I mean, I don't love them. I'll be honest. Well, I, I think we can all agree that if NASCAR is going to go to road circuits, then I say this with a bit of disdain, but maybe we should not have the same format as oval as far as the uh, overtimes and yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of tough because they want to keep everything consistent, but if you're going to go to a road track, then, and they've done this. I mean, I think NASCAR's done this throughout the years. They, they can choose, you know, based on the circuit, let's, let's not make the overtime rule on a road course. Mm-hmm. Let's not, you know, do exactly the same thing that we do on oval tracks. Yeah, I think they should definitely just finish races under caution at roads, like every other series that does road races does. It just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to try and regroup the field 300 times because we can't figure out the first corner, but. Right. And I think the the more important thing, I think the bigger impact would be if we relied more heavily on qualifying and Mm -hmm. maybe minimize the number of cars that we're going to put out on the track. I think that might uh, result in a better product. I do think it's important to note 
some of our heavy hitters that were able to remain through all of that chaos. Our winner, Tyler Reddick, mm-hmm. William Byron, Kyle Bush, the always hated but always remembered Ross Chastain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was even with all the DNFs, I think it was pretty much your usual cast up at the front, although there was a lot of chaos that caused guys like uh, Ricky Stenhouse and Chris Busher and Todd Gilliland to finish up in the in the top 10. But in general, uh, the names you listed that top five, pretty strong. I mean, Reddick has been in really good form this season. Kyle Busch is Kyle Busch. Um, then two, uh, two Hendrick guys with Ross Chastain in there as well. So even though maybe the product wasn't great, it's still your bet. Your best drivers are going to find their way to the front. Let's just face the fact that NASCAR loves the post race drama. (laughs) And so then you had, uh, a lot of interviews being posted on ESPN and, and other motorsport channels uh, where guys were super pissed. They thought they got cheated or, you know, Chastain uh, was not happy. We did have some pretty hefty fines come out of this one. One yeah. between two teammates over at Trackhouse Racing. Yeah. We got Daniel Suarez with a $50,000 bummer for his <laughs> temper tantrum that he threw on pit road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I think there's a little bit of drama being played into some of these races where if they did not have the post-race uh, issues, um, I don't know. I, I still I still think it's very enter, entertaining to watch. Uh, it's a great series. The drivers are 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 decent. Um, and let's face it, we're, these are very different cars than what we see in other series, other forms of racing. So mm-hmm. it just it is NASCAR will always be NASCAR. For sure. Garrett, how did you uh, feel about some of the penalties that were of the <laughs> nature of the track? I know we had Joey Logano, who was our race winner the weekend before, who mm-hmm. was pretty outspoken about his opinion on his penalty in the S's. Yeah, so that was a, a thing where they were really strict on the S's specifically of the track where they didn't want drivers. That was like that pretty much the only point where they actually enforced track limits. Um, and, and, you know, you can definitely kind of make an argument where it's like, if you're not going to enforce track limits anywhere else, why do it there specifically? But um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Joey Logano will always find something to bitch about. So for me, I, I don't really care what he says, and he'll still be a, probably a lock for the final four at the end of the year. So whatever happened at Coda is not going to have any sort of impact on his season, and he's already won a race, so it really doesn't matter. Um, right. Yeah, but the other thing I wanted to pick your brain about, not Coda-related, but... Um, as we sort of, I felt like we might have mentioned last episode uh, where we mentioned Hendrick's uh, penalty. penalty situation, which is no longer oh. a thing. Yeah, we did have some uh, appeal verdicts come out just uh, since the last time we spoke. And yeah. it looks like the team and the drivers will be rewarded their points back. However, they still are facing those hefty fines and the four crew chiefs who will take the next four races off yeah so let's be real the the money thing is not a concern at all for hendrick they're the richest team in nascar probably by a pretty decent margin um the points was what really was gonna hurt them but 
I don't think to anyone's surprise, the points are back. Um, my A friend of mine made a, a good point where now it's going to be Hendrick's uh, sort of life mission to get Chase Elliott's number nine to victory lane once he comes back because that's literally the only thing that like could go wrong for them this season as a team. So you can pretty right. much expect in a couple weeks when Chase Elliott returns uh, t- for him to get probably the favoritism of that team. But what say you on all this Hendrick stuff? Well, I was not. I wasn't exactly surprised by the uh, the verdict of the appeal. Yeah. Um, I think I I almost side with. Um, I would I would venture to say the majority of the NASCAR community where everyone knows that the thing that matters is the points and mm-hmm. to see those rewarded back. It's uh, it almost doesn't deter drivers or increase uh, garage relationships in any way. Yeah. It, it was pretty much expected where, you know, I, I wasn't surprised when the announcement came out that the points were back for Hendrick. So that does, I guess, sort of shake up the the standings. So William Byron's at the top, top. Um, and then Bowman back up in the playoff spots. I believe um, Larson is back either in it or within striking distance. So pretty much business as usual now for Hendrick. Yeah, moving on into uh, Richmond this weekend. Do you have a uh, a driver that you're going for that you think is going to take this one? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm always going to pull for Bubba Wallace uh, in the 23 Toyota Camry, but let's be real, he's not good at those shorter tracks. Um, I don't know, maybe he'll be pissed off after last week and drive like a bat out of hell, but uh, realistically speaking, uh, uh, I'm trying to see who won it last year. Not to say that's my pick, but just to have something to go off of. Um, I would say Logano is probably a safe pick. Uh, Kevin Harvick won it last year, so you know, look out for him. I would, you know, I'm not gonna say anyone really too controversial. I think your usual front runners will be there in Richmond as well. And Chris Busher. And I probably not Somewhere Chris Busher. Somewhere on the but... pylon will be Chris Busher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I'm always going to root for my track house boys, but uh, mm-hmm. I think, honestly, one of uh, Ross Chastain's uh, pretty heavily rivaled players every week, but I think Alex Bowman is going to show us something this week. He's been running pretty good. He's got success at Richmond, and uh, I think he's a good contender for – for the win and, and definitely top five. Yeah. I'll, in general, I'll just be happy with a good race. Um, Richmond, not really usually known for its amazing on track product. So we'll see. Um, a pretty busy weekend motorsport wise, F1, IndyCar, and NASCAR all on track. IndyCar in Texas uh, on the Oval. So have to keep an eye out on that as well yeah and i guess as we progress through the podcast this year um we're gonna have to start talking a bit about indycar maybe just give them a little segment too mm-hmm. um these early races i i'll admittedly i don't uh, pay too much attention to but as we get to uh the 500 and i'm sure we're gonna cover that a bit um Mm -hmm. for sure and then after that maybe we'll uh dip into indycar yeah as well yeah for sure so um any other motorsport related insight from the panel i think i'm ready to wrap this week up but uh we'll see what happens next week so i'll be here all right bailey anything 
NASCAR. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, since we have technically three people on the podcast, um, the program that we run on is only giving us 50-minute uh, portions to record. So I'm going to quickly make a new room, and then we can move on to soccer. So this should only take, like, a minute. So if you, two can just be on the lookout for a new link, that would be great. Will do. All right, so brief intermission. Beam me up, Scotty. All right, so back from the brief intermission we had to take there for technical reasons, but wrapped up our uh, motorsport talk for the week and moving on into our soccer segment of the show. Uh, as I alluded to earlier uh, in the program, uh, two uh, United States men's national team games over this past weekend slash week um, uh, in the CONCACAF Nations League, which I gave a sort of a brief crash course last episode. But if you needed a refresher, basically just a tournament to provide for more competitive matches for the region of North America and the Caribbean. So your, your teams that traditionally aren't going to be making the World Cup or whatever, just giving them an opportunity to play more meaningful games and another trophy to win. So um, that's kind of what we were competing for this past international window. So Dad, I'm I'm not sure. Did you catch both of the games, or just let me know how much you saw? I did, and okay. I think so. It was Granada first. Granada was the first contest. So, yeah. you want to talk about that firstly? Or... Yeah. So I think you have to sort of give the lay of the land roster wise, because with each international window uh usually you get some different guys being called in to the team that you usually either wouldn't see or maybe they're new or what have you so uh the last time we played competitive matches um for the u.s before now was in the world cup so obviously that's been a while now um so there's been some players that have been called in for the first time, um, like Alexander. Let me make sure I'm getting the name right. Um, yeah, Alexander Zendejas. Um, Taylor Booth was another guy for the U.S. that had been called in for the first time this window. And then the some guys. Right? Yes. So, yeah, um, Taylor Booth recently declared for the u.s along with zendejas um zendejas actually plays in mexico um he's a mexican-american and shows his allegiance for the u.s uh just a few weeks ago actually that's a lie a couple months ago but he uh made a competitive debut in this window um and then just guys like ricardo pepe who i would say was snubbed out of the world cup squad um brian reynolds tr- um mark mckenzie um austin trusty who got the start in this game against granada uh getting his first match for the u.s so definitely some new players on the field that we hadn't seen in the world cup or just never before so opening up against uh granada safe to say um, not the most competitive team we'll be facing um, as this World Cup cycle sort of progresses. But I would say in general, still a performance that, if not expected, is one that we can be decently impressed with. What say you? Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about the venue. Okay. My first note is... Are they playing in a high school stadium? Well, no. <laughs> They're playing at the National Stadium of Granada. So some of you might be 
asking the question of where the hell is Granada, which is a decent question to ask, and sort of the charm of, of CONCACAF as a region is playing teams that you would otherwise never really play or never really think about. So Granada is a small island um, north of South America, uh, sort of near nearer to South America than um, the contiguous United States, um, pretty much in the middle of the Caribbean. And I believe their um, total population is somewhere of like 150,000 or something. So um, a small city. Yeah, so like less than Akron, <laughs> um, which is kind of puts everything into perspective. So not going to expect your huge stadia for this one. So there's your venue update, I suppose. Gotcha. So I just have her second note after where are we playing is mm-hmm. uh, Pulisic to Pepe, uh, header for goal and uh, one nil. Yeah, so it d- didn't take too long for the U.S. to open the scoring. We had Ricardo Pepe get his goal. Um, and again, like I had mentioned, the big story going into the World into the World Cup was Ricardo Pepe's um, non-inclusion uh, into that squad. I think he was very unlucky not to go to Qatar uh, this time around. And I think it was fair to say he was pretty heartbroken by that. And I think his agent made it pretty well known. So for him to open up the scoring in this game, maybe uh, poetic in some sense. So yeah, again, the, the opponent is not going to be one where you can actually learn too much about the U.S. team right now um, because they're just not even in the same playing field. But yeah, the the cross in from Polisic was obviously pretty much perfect and uh, off the head of Pepe. And uh, I, I think, you know, a, a big weight off his shoulder, a lot of expectations from him, especially after not being at the World Cup. Um, you could see he was quite happy about that. But despite the fact that the U.S. were probably and were much better uh, Granada did actually show a bit of attacking impetus, I suppose. Um, in the seventh minute, they had a chance that actually hit the post um, right. from a shot outside the box, and Matt Turner actually was forced to make a save. So, Yeah, and I, I, I have notes here that as this game pro- progressed, obviously, I mean, you know, USA is going to dominate hate the spoiler for those who didn't watch it but um very scrappy yeah i i think that's that's pretty much what you see for the u.s when they play opponents in Concacaf like this um usually the way you stay in games is just by kind of bullying your opponent in a way hard fouls a little bit of gamesmanship, maybe a dive here or there to win a foul. Basically slow the game down. When you when you don't have the technical talent, you're not going to try and play through your opponent. You're going to try and make the game sloppy. I think I think now would be an excellent time to, to just kind of talk about uh, how Granada had to deal with uh, Pulisic the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, if you the first half it was is pretty evident, and then the the second half is they they couldn't stop him. I mean, yeah, with with I that's the only way to put it. They couldn't stop him. I mean, you had dudes uh, are pulling on his jersey every time they made it. He made it by him uh, just to just to stop a possible shot on goal, and that was in the first uh-huh. 30, 35 minutes of the game. Like we were in with the halfway point. And they knew what they had to do to make sure they didn't run away, which didn't really help. Uh, yeah. But 
pretty much well, every time the U.S. play a game against an opponent like this, you can you can bet and probably win the bet that Pulisic will be the most fouled player on the field. And I they I can't remember if it was against El Salvador or Granada, but the point still stands. Like he was fouled like five times within the first thirty minutes of the game, or something like that. So it's clear that their game plan was don't let him get into a rhythm, which obviously that didn't really work. Um, but don't re- let him get into a rhythm, foul him as much as possible, try to prevent him from uh, getting down the wing and, and putting in balls into the box that are, are dangerous. And again, didn't really work on the first goal. Um, in terms of the team for Granada, I mean, realistically, I mean, a lot of these guys are semi-professional at best. Um, When you go, like, on the roster and click on names, some of them don't even have clubs listed because they're just so small. Or, like, they were mentioning guys that were playing professionally in, like, Aruba and stuff like that. So not the highest-level opponent. But... I did want to point out Regan Charles Cook, who uh, did have a, a couple of good moments in this game for uh, Granada. He led uh, primarily most of their attacks down the left wing. I mentioned him because he actually uh, won the Golden Boot, shared it with Kyogo last year in the Scottish Premiership with Ross County. Um, he scored 13 goals last year, um, which isn't actually usually enough to win a Golden Boot, but Kyogo was hurt a lot of last season. Um, but I just wanted to make that Scottish football uh, connection there, and now plays in Belgium. So that was a name I actually recognized for Granada, but other than that, not exactly your highest quality uh, opponent. So Pulisic goes another goal in the somewhere around the 20th minute, 2 0. And then uh, McKinney, shortly after that, scores a third goal for the USA team. Yeah. So McKinney was a pretty big nuisance for Granada on set pieces, especially that was where the U S were able to strike, I think two, at least two times. Um, so the first goal from McKenney, which was, uh, the third goal of the night for the U S, um, was off of a free kick that was delivered in from Pulisic. Uh, the header comes from McKenney initially deflected, uh, and then the ball kind of goes back to him, and he sort of overhead slash scissor kicks it in. And they said on the next broadcast against El Salvador that they asked if he had really intended on that happening, and he said not really, but you'll take what you can get for sure. And if I'm not mistaken, this game did not have VAR. No, so no VAR in Granada. I think it sort of just is the U.S., Mexico, Canada, if I had to guess, that are using VAR in this tournament. It's a little, I don't know, I don't really care if there's VAR personally, but I do think it's a little weird to have some games in the tournament have VAR and some not. But Yeah, yeah a mix of the, the two. If you're going to have uh, one game without it, you might as well do them all without it. I mean, yeah. just because it's a capability at one uh, stadium and not the others, it's just kind of weird to not have that uniformity in a tournament uh, style play. Yeah, I I think that's definitely definitely fair. Uh, I think we definitely have to talk about Granada's goal that comes right after McKinney scores the third one for the U.S. I no more than like ninety seconds after. Uh, this gentleman called Miles Hippolyte, who plays for Stockport County, that's going to be a fourth-tier English side um, for those keeping score at home. Um, Miles Hippolyte is played central, and he thunders a strike home, 
Um, and I think that showed a pattern or sort of exposed a pattern in the first half where while the U.S. were winning and winning somewhat comfortably, they did have a tendency to turn off from time to time. Maybe the concentration just slipped a little. And I think it came to a head with, with this strike for Granada, but perhaps took a, some people by surprise that they were able to find the back of the net in this match. Well, it was it was definitely short-lived for Granada because two minutes later, McKinney sends the his second goal of the night in just to kind of remind him that the score is four to one. Yeah. Another uh, goal from a free kick. Initially, the ball comes from Polisic again, and then Brian Reynolds actually squares it to McKinney, who, like you said, finds the back of the net to make it 4-1. At that point, I would say this game was pretty much over as a contest. Um, so I just wrote down some standout players in the first half. Obviously, Polisic, uh, McKinney. Pepe all getting goals. Um, I thought Gio Reyna was pretty good as well, uh, playing centrally for the U.S. And then I wasn't so sure about our defense because the one time they were really tested, they actually kind of, or they did concede. Uh, you could argue that maybe Luca Delatore had lost his man there on that goal. Um, but once the second half started, 49th minute, uh, a goal for Polisic. Brian Reynolds sets it up, um, and then Delatore plays it to Polisic. Um, and th- this one, the ball actually goes right to the keeper, and then he is not able to make the save. So again, probably just more of an uh, issue of the quality of opponent than anything. Um, I mean, that that keeper was getting beat up. Yeah for at this point 49 minutes uh yeah i i think that that was the goal where it, it like you said it went straight to him and almost right under him because he lays out to the left i think mm-hmm. uh was that goal and he just kind of like hangs out there uh well the ball goes right under him i remember uh the comments on that goal were less than appreciative towards the granada keeper <laughs> yeah um, sort of a, a howler as it's colloquially known uh unlucky maybe but again at this point the match is pretty much all but over um in the 53rd minute another goal for ricardo pepe uh another um luca della torre through ball and um I would, this one actually started from a Granada chance, and this was more of a transitional goal, which the U.S. usually are quite good at uh, striking from. So another example of that. Uh, before before we wrap up the Granada USA game, I just I kind of want to touch on the I'm I'm super fascinated by the uh, the effect that the timing of goals have. Mm-hmm. in just in general in soccer and you know it's it's not fantastic to for any team to come out and get scored on in the fourth minute of a game uh no. kind of it kind of sets a pace um you know halfway through the first half at the 20th minute uh another one um and then and then we talk about how crucial it is uh right before the half and right after the half those 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 minutes and we have, you know, McKenney scoring in the 30, 30, 34th minute and, mm-hmm. and Polisic scoring in the 48th minute, not three minutes after the second half. So if you didn't think the game was over at about 32 to 34 minutes after they came back and uh, scored in the 48th, um, just nail in the coffin. And then everything after that, I, I, I remember we were, we were sitting there having a conversation about it. And it's just... <laughs> At that point, it's just kind of rude, yeah, to to sit there and and you know seven seven one. How many soccer games do you see where the uh, you get up to seven? And I was really surprised that the U.S. didn't just kind of sit back 
and uh and hold possession try and get some more possession time and just run it out yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like uh a lot of people in soccer seem to think that actually like maybe contrary to more like of your traditional american uh traditions i guess where you don't really run up the score um in soccer it's kind of seen as a slight if you kind of just bang the ball around and don't try to score like you're almost sort of disrespecting the opponent like you're not like well this isn't even worth actually playing type you're, of thing you're not trying anymore there's no yeah. way you can win we're just gonna gonna but we've seen tons of matches that go that way mm-hmm. where in terms of i get up by two yeah and now i'm gonna ticky tack i <laughs> I yeah. think that I think that a lot of matches that go that way, um, you start looking at at opponents that are a lot more, uh, that are a lot closer in skill level. It's a closer mm-hmm. match, and it's the safer thing to do. You're up by two. Yeah, let's let's definitely. play it safe. When you're bullying a team, uh, yeah. there really is no reason to play it safe. You can keep being aggressive. I get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would I would say when you're when you have opponents that are closer together, uh, in skill levels, and, and you're worried about them coming back and scoring three points from you being too aggressive, that's when they, uh, yeah, start playing playing past the ball around the mid or whatever. And that's the thing with, you know, this tournament, Concacaf Nations League, and then you'll see it again this summer with the Gold Cup. There's a lot of games where the skill level gap is just going to be huge. So it kind of puts everything into perspective. And I think that kind of just plays into the fact like that is why making it to the world cup and being in games of that high pressure and, and just attention is um, why it makes it all the better because you go through a cycle of a world cup um and you're not always going to play super competitive games, and I think it just puts everything into in perspective, really. Um, so Zendejas gets his first goal for the U.S. in the 73rd minute. Well-taken strike outside of the box. Um, and I just mentioned that I really liked what I saw from Z- Zendejas, and I would echo that for the next game. Um any final thoughts on USA Granada? Pretty straightforward, all things considered. I will take that as a no. Dad's silence is deafening. He's, uh... Oh, he has. He has been removed from the the room. All right, Bobby well, has left in, the chat. <laughs> in the meantime... Uh, we'll get through USA El Salvador in a, in a rather brisk fashion because this one, fair to say, didn't offer a ton of entertainment. Um, and honestly, not, for me at least, a whole lot of like just concrete talking points. Uh, like I had mentioned with what I finished the discussion about Granada with is I really, really liked... Um, Zendejas in this match and what we saw from him. Um, this seems like a guy that uh, maybe can get a move away from uh, Club America in Mexico and over to Europe. Um, and I think uh, could be a, a staple in this, this U.S. squad uh, for a long time. But um, why don't we just start with... Um, in the second minute, a save has to actually be made by Matt Turner from uh, Enriquez of El Salvador. Um, and again, sort of highlights that notion of maybe the U.S. letting off the gas a little from time to time. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll admit off the rip, I, I didn't get to watch this game all the way um just kind of some highlights and some stats but um one one thing of note and i i think it's pretty in in keeping with u.s tradition is is i think that they generally come out the gate 
uh, hot, you know, with, with some aggression. But like you said, you know, two minutes in, let off, they kind of feather in the throttle, if you will, you know, they, they let off, Mm -hmm. uh, missed an opportunity and then they're, and then they're back down on it. So, I mean, they, you know, they realize what happened. Um, and I, I don't really know how that crosstalk happens on the field. If someone's like, yo, uh, we could have had that or whatever, but mm-hmm. yeah, Dad, did you have any just overarching thoughts of <laughs> Bailey is still alive? Just one, <laughs> another. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, while we sort out that, I'll just keep her rolling right through some. Uh, some of the action from this match, shall we say. Sure. Um, just a lot of missed opportunities, it seemed, from the U.S. in this one. Not their most clinical night from a, a striker's perspective. 12th minute, McKenney gets his head on a free kick, can't convert. Um, a chance in the 16th minute that ends in a shot, but no goal from Zendejas and Dest, Serginho Dest. A good partnership there. Uh, seems like that is one that could um, could definitely be one that can be very effective in the future. Two guys that are really good with the ball at their feet, very technical players. So really, I think the more technicality we can get in this team, uh, the better for sure. Um in the first half, really not uh, just a whole lot to speak on. Didn't like some of the officiating I was seeing out there. Uh, a lot of diving going on from El Salvador that were trying to, like I mentioned with um, Granada, kind of slow the game down, make it uh, so it's sloppy and not very technical. Uh, but there, there was this idea that uh, El Salvador definitely a better team than Granada overall for sure. Yeah, and and I think that's evident if you just look at the stats from the game, and then obviously the score. Um, yeah, the one one zero more more typical of what you know you'd you'd see from a, a more even matchup. Uh, one thing I think is it is worth noting when it comes to the technicality of, of the play, like you said, from a striker's perspective. Um, there were 16 shots from the U.S. and four, I want to say it looks like four shots were on target. Mm-hmm. So you're talking a quarter of shots yeah. thrown on target. So uh, when you look at it compared to uh, El Salvador's, you know, four shots with zero on target, obviously there's a reason why they have zero points. But uh, over, from an overall standpoint, you know, U.S. had possession the majority of the game. They were passing more. Uh, had a couple more fouls, but nothing crazy. They offsides like twice, uh, and they got thirteen corners <laughs> off the yeah. rip uh, to El Salvador's too. So definitely not a lot of opportunities to score for El Salvador. Yeah, most definitely. Um, God. Yeah, yeah. I I, w- I pretty much just wanted to fast forward to Ricardo Pepe's 62nd minute uh, goal, played in by Weston McKinney. Um, able to, pretty much a, a through ball across the most of the attacking half. Um, and, Re- and Pepe only needed that chance to make it 1 0. And again, a guy really on great form, club and country combined. Um, probably getting a, a move to uh, a big club in the Netherlands, um, hopefully this summer. And I think has really found a lot of confidence now with three goals in two games for the U.S. After sort of, it was a pretty big deal when he didn't make that World Cup roster. Um, I think just looking at this window as a whole to kind of close things off, 
sort of business as usual for the U.S. in terms of uh, interregional competition. Uh, two games you'd expect them to win, and they did. Um, no performance is really going to blow your socks off or anything, but um, I, I did think it was a, a good window overall. Um, interim manager too, Anthony Hudson. So uh, maybe by June we will have a permanent manager after Greg Berhalter. It looks like is not going to be re-signed. Um, so yeah, I, a, a lot to look forward to for the U.S. in June. Um, Nations League Final Four. Um, so hopefully winning a trophy in June, and then the Gold Cup, which is another tournament um this summer as well uh as for next week on the show back to club soccer uh the international break is over and sort of the business end of the european campaign along with the australian gp so looking forward to that Yeah, I, you know, I would love to get you more involved, but I understand you probably don't know much of anything in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, maybe, uh, maybe one day you can be on the the same playing field in terms of soccer. I don't know. If you will get <laughs> well, not to not to flex or anything, but some of us do have several years of experience playing the game. It helps a little bit. Bailey did play at a, <laughs> at a some would say an elite level in the Florida high school soccer scene. Yeah, it's a four A <laughs> school starter. It's not a <laughs> big deal or anything <laughs> were you uh defense midfield attack yeah, I, was, I did a uh, defense it's okay. a sweeper okay nice i got does does boot on me not an sure. extreme not an extremely technical player myself personally yeah but... well you don't have to be but when you're back there right it's, it's true a crusher all right well we're getting into Florida high school soccer tangents. I think that's a t- signal to wrap this up. 